My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Welcome, brothers and sisters, to the first Sunday of Lent. And today, as uh, we begin our first Sunday in Lent, we will be finishing up the sermon series that we started um, that was in January, I don't think it was, right? Well, yeah, I think we did start in January, maybe mid-January, called The Church Is, The Church Is Not. We began by looking at the church being a hospital for sinners, not a training camp for activism. And we dealt with, there with the idea is that the church is where broken humanity comes to be healed. Well, where dead humanity actually comes to be made alive. We looked at the idea that the church is for our conversion, not our actualization. We don't come to church in order to become our authentic self because the idea of the authentic self is at odds, at least culturally speaking anyway, with what Scripture shows us about our dead hearts and need of the life-giving power of God. And we can only find our authentic self in Christ. We looked at the idea that the church is exclusive, not inclusive, in the sense that the way of salvation is exclusive, is only found in Jesus Christ, and that the sacramental life of the church necessarily excludes those who are not in Christ, as the holy things are for the holy. We followed that up with the church being inclusive, not exclusive. And we saw the issue between the Jews and their struggle, the believing Jews, and their struggle including the believing Gentiles as followers of Jesus. And we talked about how inclusion does not mean the creation of inoffensive, safe spaces where everything is affirmed and nothing is denied or where God never tells us no. And then last week we dealt with the church is for our transfiguration, not our moral transformation, and how our destiny is to be resurrected, animated by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, who showed a hint of his divine glory on the holy mountain. And it's funny, with all of those things that we talked about, the church is, is not. When we focus on all those things that the church is, are, is, are, I don't, I'm sorry, plural, singular, I'm not good with that today. When we focus on all of those things, we find we actually do discover our authentic self in Christ. We find that we are becoming morally transformed by the gospel. We find that we are being made whole. We find that as we approach the table of the Lord and, and the font of baptism, that we are being transformed by Christ. All of those things that we try to do outside of Christ will fail. And it's only when we bring these things back into Christ that then they are all fulfilled. So today, we are going to conclude finally by talking about the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, not a social club. And part of the reason, brothers and sisters, I've been preaching this series has been to take a deficient view of what the church is and to replace it with one that I think is more sufficient. And in this series, I've been, I've been aiming high, <laughs> right? I've been aiming 
high in order to give us something to strive towards. And I've used specific examples in these sermons on purpose in order to challenge us because sometimes we need it. As I was preparing for this, I came across this quote late and I don't remember who wrote it so I can't give them proper attribution, but a writer at a, a Christian magazine that I, that, I, that I read on occasion, he said this, people seek in religion guidance to the meaning of life. And a church that in effect tells them we have no unique wisdom to offer, only the common human search for meaning, eventually even loses many of the people who share that uncertainty because there is nothing the church can offer that is not better available in many other places. And when I read that, I was struck by that observation because the church has something that no one else has, and that is Christ. But what has happened is when we take the body of Christ and are being incorporated into that body with everything that comes with that, church has been reduced to social clubs. I've read and listened to and watched different theological statements from different churches while preparing for this. And I was shocked by how many of them that I saw, Christ became something that, well, Christ is not who the Gospels say he is. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ, just becomes a way for us to learn how to somehow connect with the divine. Jesus shows us a way of loving that is all-inclusive, that is that is all loving and that, that, that is all usually generally defined by whatever the social cause du jour is. But the church, brothers and sisters, is not a common human search for meaning, even though in the church we do have that common human search for meaning. We have some degree of certainty as the body of Christ, and it, it's become very, very sexy in certain sectors of, of Christianity, right, to be like, well, we're uncertain. We don't really know. Can, can, and I remember even coming up against a little bit of this in my own seminary formation where, where they had kind of tried to introduce this sort of postmodern approach to theology where, well, words are... They're not exact, and so we can't really know anything. It's all just how you choose to interpret words. Hence, a lot of, of, of cultural and secular language games because the belief is if you can change and control language, you can change and control uh, the different narratives. But we can know because... As much as language is insufficient to tell us anything about God, language is also God's gift to us to tell us things that we can know about God. So we always hold our certainty with humility because if we don't, we fall into a rabid sort of fundamentalism where doubts are squashed and no questions are, are, are able to, to be asked. And then on the other side, we fall into this quasi-semi-spiritual, ooey-gooey religious feelings that we're all just on the search for the divine and we all experience it in, in different ways. And, and talking about Jesus is just a way to teach us how to connect our divine spark with the divine spark. 
But the church is the body of Christ. And how many of you have ever heard anyone say or a preacher say or read something or heard it on on the news or on TV? Jesus didn't come to start a church. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus came to start a movement. Jesus came to bring the reign of God because we can't say kingdom, right? Because kingdom is a bad word. Jesus just came to start this movement of love. Jesus didn't come to start a church. And then this is, usually, this is followed up by disparaging comments about St. Paul ruining this Jesus movement. But Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, even says to St. Peter, on this rock I will build my what? My church. And we see from St. Paul's words this morning that the church was established by Jesus Christ. It is built by Jesus Christ and in some way constitutes Jesus Christ. As the Methodist theologian Tom Oden put it, the church is the personal communion of those who have communion with the living Christ. And we start right there with the understanding that Christ is alive. Christ is not an ooey-gooey feeling of rainbow and sparkle ponies and sunshine that the disciples and the apostles felt when they reflected about, oh, it's a shame that he died and he was put in a grave. And then they had these feelings of joy that they just couldn't escape from on Easter morning and that, <laughs> that led to them dying for the faith. No, Christ is alive. He bodily rose from the grave. And somehow we are mystically joined to that body. And so somehow all of us who have been baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. We here now on the earth are part of his visible and living body when we are gathered as the church. And St. Paul notes in this reading from 1 Corinthians that our body, the, the body, our bodies are made up. It consists of different parts, and every part plays a purpose. And his point here is to set immature Christians who think they're mature, who think that their particular spiritual gifts make them better than their fellow Christians. He's setting them straight. Corinthians is essentially the kitchen nightmares of of the ancient world, right? Kitchen nightmares where Gordon comes in and he yells at all the bad chefs for not cleaning. That's what St. Paul is doing here to the Corinthians. Christ's body consists of many different members taken from all different walks of life. And he doesn't say bodies of Christ as if different groups weren't quite part of the whole. He gives the singular body. And he says something incredible. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Reflecting on this, the historian Tom Holland wrote in his excellent book called Dominion, he wrote this, a new order of time had come into existence and all that previously served to separate people was now as a consequence dissolved. And to the ancient world inhabited by the Romans, this inclusion of all people across the spectrum from all the different class levels of society, this was something that overwrote their entire culture. And it caused the whole world and our own world to be shaken. Because what St. Paul dared to say is that the slave, the person on the lowest, the, the lowest part of the totem pole, has just as much value and is just as much a child of God as maybe even their rich owner who might even be in the same congregation with them. That a slave 
and a Caesar, if they were in Christ, were on a level playing field in the eyes of God. And not only that, they would worship together and sit together and eat together. And this completely demolished the old order. There is one body of Christ. And what this did to the ancient world still has power today to do the same thing in our world. There is one body. And we do not, as individuals, make the body. Gathered together as the church, we are the body. As Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And as Jesus Christ is alive, his church is alive. And theologians over the ages have discussed, well, what are the features of the church? Or maybe what are the activities of churches? Or what is something about the church that shows that it shares in this life? And generally in Protestant theology, we've identified generally three. And I think these aren't just for us. I think this is for our our Roman Catholic and our Orthodox brothers and sisters as well, maybe expressing itself in different ways. The first is by preaching the word. St. Paul remarks in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When St. Philip is walking down the street one day in the desert, he sees the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah. St. Philip comes to him and says, hey, buddy, this is my paraphrase, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian's like, I've been trying, I can't make heads or tails of this guy, Isaiah. Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about somebody else? And then St. Philip says, do I have some good news for you, like a good, like a good salesman. St. Philip preaches Christ to him, and then immediately baptizes him. And what do you think happened after that, after St. Philip said, this is about Jesus, and explained to him what Isaiah was talking about? Do you think that the Ethiopian eunuch then just like, well, that was really good to know. I'm a, I'm a nice person now. I'm moral and loving and accepting and, and everything, and I'm just going to, wow, that's great. Thanks, Philip. No, he turns around and he takes the gospel back to Ethiopia. And we know this because some of the earliest Christian communities are in Ethiopia, and their ancestors are still there. Coptic Christians. And please pray for them under intense persecution right now. Administering the sacraments would be number two. There's no church without the sacramental life. Those who have faith in Christ are baptized into Christ. And then they are to feed on Christ in Holy Communion. And this is only, like I said, for those baptized into Christ, according to the teaching of the Apostles. Then the third identifier we could say is disciplined Christian living. And we see this in the apostolic writings of St. Peter and St. Paul and St. Jude and other writers of Scripture, St. James. The Christian commitment carries with it the commitment to live holy, disciplined lives. We talked about how, how holiness means to be set apart for sacred use. We are made holy, we are washed, we are cleansed, we are set aside for sacred use, for God to use us, to work through us as Christ's body. Sin and death are aligned together, and all sin turns the human person more and more towards death. And the disciplined Christian life points us away from sin and towards life, the source of all life, as we are transformed into that life.
So if the, if the church is not just a social club or a place where we can come and, and, and hang out and, and hear some really good moral advice, um, then, then if it's the body of Christ, then that means what uniquely sets it apart as the body of Christ is going to be different from anything else. And, and using the Nicene Creed, uh, the, the theologian I, I cited earlier, Tom Oden, he, he highlights four marks uh, as confessed and laid out in the Nicene Creed. Uh, one, holy, and Catholic, and apostolic, right? So in the Nicene Creed, we say we confess one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. One baptism, okay? Sorry to my, my revivalist and Baptist uh, friends. One baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It's actually a quote from the Bible, not 40 baptisms. I've been baptized like three times or twice. I can't remember, uh, but anyway. One baptism, <laughs> no, but the church is one, it's holy, it's Catholic, and apostolic. So many, many decades ago, the ecumenical movement was in full bloom. And the ecumenical movement was all of the different branches of the church started talking with one another with the goal of, you know, it would be really cool if we could all be one. And that uh, it was a really noble, noble effort. But the problem was, how can you make one, all of these disparate, different groups, with some of them with very radical, different theologies? Some of them with, with radical, different theologies. Um, there's a, a, an Orthodox theologian named Father Georges Florovsky who, who said something along the lines of the ecumenical people who want to talk about or, or baptism, reunification or something, and we're still wanting to talk about the devil. As in, can we come to some common? Anyway. But this was a very important time, well, for the ecumenical movement, this was a very important time decades and decades ago, and there was this desire for us all to be one. And the prayer of Jesus over his apostles, over his followers, is that they may all be one. And this is an important point because Christ founded one church, not several, and all members are bound together in Christ across space and time. But for the church to be truly one, it has to hold to the rule of of faith, the core of apostolic teaching on who Jesus is, on his work, on our salvation, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is. And those who deny those most important fundamentals cannot in any sense of the word call themselves Christian, even if they claim the name. I'm sorry, but a Unitarian Universalist is not a Christian. To be a Christian, to be part of the body, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, there has to be agreement and belief and fidelity to the rule of faith. Jesus is the head of the church. But if there's no agreement that he is the virgin-born, divine and human, eternal son of God who died and rose from death, then those who deny these truths aren't following Jesus. They're following an idealized Jesus that they've made up off at the top of their head to satisfy their own lusts that will lead them eventually to destruction that they think is actually leading them to paradise and utopia on earth. The second mark is the church is holy. As the body of Christ, we receive and live by the holiness of Jesus Christ. To be holy, like I said, is to sanctify, is to be cleansed, to be set apart for our use 
by God. And, and as we gather, brothers and sisters, as the church, in order to draw more people into the cleansing waters as well, th- this holiness expresses itself in living lives opposed to sin and the dangers of the temptations of the flesh that still war against our regenerate hearts. The church is Catholic. Uh, the church is not bound to particular place and time, but it is inclusive of all believers. This Catholicity, this according to the whole, professes the whole faith that has been handed down to us. And finally, the church is apostolic. In other words, what the apostles witnessed. St. Paul refers to, I think St. Paul, he says, what I, what I gave to you by word and by letter. Hold fast by word and by letter. I think it's in Thessalonians. I can't remember off the top of my head. There's a word called paradosis. And that actually means to tradition something. But the word tradition, we don't have a verb for it in English. So we say to give or to hand over. But that word is traditioned to you. We don't like that, which is why some Bible translations will take that instead of mentioning tradition, they'll change it into I gave to you or something like that. And it's interesting, right? St. Basil, I think in On the Holy Spirit, he talks about some of these traditions that the apostles gave by word. And we also have you know, what, what they wrote, which we have uh, in the New Testament. But some of these traditions, St. Basil notes, he, he says, I think the, one of the big ones, he says, we make the sign of the cross on ourselves. And some of us might like, think, well, the sign of the cross, well, that's Catholic, or that's, that's Lutheran, or, or, or Anglican, or, 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 or Orthodox. We don't make the sign of a cross. St. Basil says, and we're, he's in mid-300s, like, we do this because the apostles told us to, right? Uh, other, other writers say, you know, we baptize infants and children because the apostles told us to do that. Anyway, the church is apostolic. It's a reference to the teaching of the apostles about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and our mission. And for a church to be the body of Christ, they have to be one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Ultimately, other organizations, they have community. And they foster uh, foster a a wonderful sense of togetherness and, and, and purpose. And the church should have that as well. And I, and I preached on this a while back, so I'm not going to, to focus on it too much. But, but I remember during one of the Peach Festivals, I preached a very short sermon, very similar to the end of this sermon. And I, I said, and I kind of laid out social clubs. And I think I even maybe preached some of it on a Sunday where I said, well, I, I, on occasion, I run with a and d group, and we have a wonderful sense of community. And church should have a wonderful sense of community and oneness. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have something that no community can offer. The Freemasons can't offer it. The Shriners can't offer it. My D&D group can't offer it. A reading club can't offer it. Getting together to watch your favorite Netflix shows with your friends and then talking about it afterwards can't offer it. Nothing can offer it. Only the church can offer because what the church has to offer is life in Christ. We have Christ. No one else has that. No one else can claim to have that. No one else can deliver that. Only the church. Only the church. 
And so if the church as the body, this is what characterizes the body, then that means the church has something as the body to do. And in Luke 4.18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And I think what we can do, brothers and sisters, is break this down a little bit and take it from maybe a spiritual standpoint and a physical standpoint, right? So the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed... When we read the Gospels, we see the work of Jesus taking those who are blind and healing them. People who have been captive to sickness and disease, healing them. Those who have been oppressed by demons, he liberates them. He delivers them. uh, One of my favorite Bible stories of all time uh, with Jesus is Mark chapter 5, where he crosses the ocean, stills the storm, and then he goes to the Gadarenes, and he meets the demoniac who is is possessed by a legion of demons who who chains can't hold him. He's so strong because of his possession, he can break the chains. No one can hold him. And he lives in the cemetery, and he cries aloud at night, cutting himself because of his oppression. And Jesus sails across the sea, finds him, casts out the demons, and he's clothed and he is in his right mind. And that is a picture of us, right? And and what Christ has for the church. We are clothed and we are found in our right mind. Everything that has captivated us, everything that has blinded us, everything that has oppressed us, our life of sin and death, Christ strips that all the way and he heals us, and he makes us alive. But we dare not just leave it there because we see as well the Lord's concern for the poor, for the captive, for the blind. And that has fueled the mission of the church to lift up those who are poor, to give them things that they need, to give them food, to give them clothes, to find places for them to live, to help them find childcare if they have to work. Those who have been captive, he's come to set free. Those who have been oppressed, he has come to liberate. And we see how the church gets involved in working against oppression and working for and marching for that those who are oppressed can achieve, can be liberated, can be freed from that. But we have to be careful when we talk about that sort of liberation and oppression because in our own society, in our culture, we keep fragmenting ourselves more and more to different group identities. And then every single group identity takes upon itself, either real or imagined, the belief that they are oppressed in some way. And so now the church work is seen to, we have to take each and every single one of these group identities and work for their liberation from that oppression, even if that oppression doesn't exist or something they've read back into it. So this is why we have to be careful when we talk about oppression and liberation and all that sort of thing. We have to make sure that we stick to what we see in the scripture and in the teaching of the church. But the church is the body of 
Christ. You sitting there, all of us together, as we are gathered, we are the body of Christ. And to close all of this, St. Ignatius wrote in his, in his epistle to the Ephesians, he said this. This is what's happening when we gather together as the church. Take heed then often to come together to give thanks to God and to show forth his praise. That's our gathering. For when you come frequently together in the same place, listen to what happens here, he says. The powers of Satan are destroyed, and his fiery darts urging to sin fall back ineffectual. For your concord and harmonious faith prove his destruction and the torment of his assistance. That's the demons. Nothing is better than that peace which is according to Christ, by which all war, both of aerial and terrestrial spirits, is brought to an end. And ultimately, in the church is found the peace of Christ. And nothing is better than the peace of Christ. And may the peace of Christ, brothers and sisters, dwell in you richly through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If you have a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to go to GoFundMe.com slash ZionStoneChurchRepairFund. Our bell tower is in need of some major renovation and repairs, and we can use whatever help you're able to give to us. If you'd like to find out more about us, check us out on our Facebook page, ZionStoneUCC, or on our website, ZionStoneUCC.com. Thanks again for listening. I pray that these sermons will continue to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ, and may the blessings of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you.